Well, hello and welcome, everybody. I'm so glad to have you back with us. It's a brand new year, brand new attitude, all kinds of fun stuff happening. We've got some stuff that we're looking at doing right now in this episode that we have covered before. And you might have looked at some of this and hopefully you're still watching and you're going, wait a minute, have these guys covered AI ops and, and uh, full stack observability and such like that in the past? Yes, we have. And each time there's just more golden goodness found within each one of those episodes. And today, though, I'm so excited because today is all about the reality the reality of AI ops using an actual customer example fresh off the anonymous press uh, about what this is like for even people that are well experienced with the uh, principles of AI ops ostensibly. But how do you really make that work in your environment? What else can we learn? And we've got a very special guest who I'm ashamed to say I've not met prior to this particular show, but I'm excited to have him here and excited to introduce you to him. And then we've got one old guest that you've seen before because when you think AI ops, you think Tanner. Let's just go ahead and spill it. All right, guys, I think it's time to get the show started. My name is Rob Boyd. Welcome to Tech 37, your home for technology, education, and collaboration. Let's get started, shall we? Well, gentlemen, welcome to Tech 37 and our latest on full stack observability and AI ops. Tanner, good to see your shining face again. And tree, as I Always mentioned in the pleasure. open. Yeah, sorry, I should have let you speak. Tanner, welcome. Now you go. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, Rob. Good host should always pause, let their guests express themselves. And tree, I, I was just hinting at the fact that I was bummed that I hadn't met you, even though you're one of the most tenured members of Tanner's team. Uh, but for whatever reason, he has chosen to wait until now. And so I'm going to just soak that up and enjoy it. But you've been busy, and so welcome to Tech Thirty Seven. Excited to have you here. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine. Happy to be here. Well, Tanner, I wonder if you could set this up for us. This notion that uh, anybody that's watched this and has said, hey, haven't, haven't we had Tanner on? Haven't we, haven't we talked about this stuff? Uh, didn't we already check that box? I don't know. Tanner, what, what are you, what's important to you for anyone watching today's show that you want to make sure is, is different? What, what should they walk away with? That's a good question. And yes, I imagine people that have watched these uh, a time or two. I always have to make sure I'm wearing something different so you can tell the episodes apart, at least. Me both, yeah. Uh, the main purpose of today's conversation is really, if we've talked about this from a philosophical level and an architectural level and a, and a business intent, the one thing that we've not discussed and the pleasure of having Tree here with us in this discussion is because we want to talk about what it looks like in the real world. Yeah. You know, we've at the end of the day, you have to make a decision to take action. How do you begin? That's a question we get a lot. Well, where do we begin? You know, we subscribe to the idea. We want to get down this path. We understand the discipline. What are the things that actually go into making something like this a reality? So Tree has worked in that space. He's been part of my team since the very beginning, you know, since Worldwide established our AI ops group uh, about four or five years ago. Um, and he's served a, a pretty critical leadership role, not only in really the architectural and engineering side of our business, interfacing directly with our clients, but also as a leadership position and establishing our fundamentals. You know, what's the baseline? What is the foundation of how we, of how we both advance the industry as well as make this promise of, of an AI ops self-healing environment very real for a customer? I would argue that his job is, is one of the most difficult uh, in terms of actually taking a reference architecture and a model uh, and turning it into real business outcome. And that's the intention for our conversation today is to talk about that business outcome, how we got there, what went into it, and what the result ultimately was. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you one more question because most of my questions are going to be for Tree. And as we go through um, 
some of his recent experiences and how they can apply to uh, our audience here. But from your perspective, um, I just one other question. So I, I want to make sure that we understand because we may not mention FSO a whole lot in the rest of the episode, but there is a link there. Cisco, of course, with full stack observability, they continue to invest. They continue to work with Worldwide to make that a reality. And that fits very well, as, as we've talked about before, within what you do with AIOps. Is there anything important just to keep in mind in regards to somebody that's thinking about are the two terms interchangeable? What's important to understand as we listen to, uh, to Tree? Extremely important question uh, and, a, and a pretty simple answer. So if you think about the FSO platform, which is an extreme catalyst for us to reach an AIOps environment, the difference between the two, because we do get asked that a lot, you know, is FSO AIOps, is AIOps, you know, are they one of the same? AIOps is the discipline. AIOps is very unique to every customer. With whatever your business objectives are, as you start to build the discipline and the architecture that it takes to reach that kind of outcome with AIOps, you need sets of core platform tools. You need acumen, you need the expertise, you need the architecture. FSO, full stack observability from Cisco, ultimately is a catalyst that sits in the middle that does a lot of the things that for many years we've had to custom build you know, to custom integrate, to create the architecture around. Cisco has ramped that process for us uh, and in turn our customers to get them to a functional AI ops environment faster. However, many customers have other tools that live in that ecosystem that are equally as important. Uh, we've got various partners, Riverbed, ScienceLogic, BigPanda from a correlation point of view, a lot of other platform tools that contribute metrics, events, utilize their machine learning or AI capabilities to truly and ultimately reach a full AI ops environment. So it's a catalyst that helps us reach an ultimate unique goal for our customer base. And that's kind of the variation between those two. That's perfect. Okay. So it's, it's very complimentary. One definitely leads to the other. If you've got Cisco in your environment, you're, you're very well set up to continue on an AI ops journey, but that does not uh, it sounds like does not exclude you from taking advantage of other tools that you may already have in your environment. It's not a matter of if you have to throw something out to get started with this. And actually, that's going to be something right. we'll talk about a little bit here. Tree, I, I want to, before we get into your, to our anonymous customer example and the engagement that you were just in, and, and I keep saying that because I want to make sure we don't accidentally say any customer names, because I actually don't think they're necessary here. I think the lessons from what I've learned from you really apply well. But if we think about most customers you've dealt with in your career, uh, that is very data um, monitoring focused and, and such. I'm probably woefully short-circuiting your, your capabilities there. But when you look at all customers and, you're in, and they're trying to figure out if AIOps is right for them, you were telling me about themes or consistent things you tend to see that I thought might be helpful for, for others to understand in terms of, hey, light bulbs should be going off. This might be something good for you if you're kind of experiencing these kind of things. Do you mind rehashing that for us? Absolutely. And the, what I find normally with, uh, you know, common across many clients is the question of why it comes up. Why do we have this outage or why is this application slow or why is this thing happening? We know the what because we can point to it and we can see it. Uh, my payment service is down. Why is the obvious question that comes afterwards. And it really implores us to understand what our applications are doing, what our environment is, and putting measurements in places that are core to our business so that we can answer the why. I like that. And I, I'm just kind of curious, too, because it just popped in my head. But beyond the why, I don't know what the right setup word is for this, but is there, a, is there a, the ability to also answer questions around 
is something really slow? So is something really happening because there's a problem or is it just relatively slow and that's the way it should operate? Because I imagine you deal with a lot of people developing custom applications and they need to measure, they need to fit into these systems. Um, is that also something to expect? Baselining yeah. accurately maybe? Yeah, uh, you know, the philosophy for monitoring that I have that it really applies generically to most clients, environments, really whatever you want to apply it to is know what's happening in your environment. You want to know that. You want to be able to identify the core critical components that make up your business from a technology perspective. What are the hardware components? What are the software components? What are the behaviors of those two? And what are the relationships? Understanding that allows us to know what we're able to measure. Can I even measure the response time from one thing to another? Can I measure the on-off switch of my data center? Or can I measure power coming in from the grid into my data center? Those are all questions that need to be sort of mindfully asked, then answered deliberately with the right stakeholders in place. And so if you can know what your environment is, if you know what you can measure, you can then set acceptable thresholds for you to monitor across your, the environment. And then you know when something has violated this explicit threshold. And then there comes the question of, well, what do I do for my first step? Well, the first step is just look at it, put the, put the monitoring in place and observe the values that are coming through. Do those values feel good to you? If yes, then that's your normal baseline. If not, then take action upon that feeling and make it in line with what you want it to be. Now that requires a lot of different other things, but that's yeah. the general idea. Well, and I imagine these are also things that you can true up over time as you gain better intelligence about about it. But the idea is that you need to have the data. I like the use of the word thresholds there and alerting on thresholds. And I feel like the audience would be listening to this going, well, of course, theoretically, that all sounds right on the nose. That's how the, no big surprise there. Not, not diminishing what you're saying, because I think and this is where I want to go next, which is the reality of actually making that happen in your operation. Um, if I could set this up on our anonymous customer, you spent a 12-week engagement um, going deep uh, because this customer was, and this is recent, I think this is just literally the end of last year, if I understood correctly. And um, But one of the things that stood out to me was this was a, cust a large customer that already had been investing in AI ops for previous years, but was still struggling with not being able to do some of the things that you said are important to do, which is no, you know, understand alerts and thresholds and, 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 you know, divine root cause at an acceptable rate and things like this, so that they could ideally automate uh, the responses to these things. What it, it's this notion of an AOPS reference architecture is the thing that we kind of decided we wanted to pull out here because there were so many different things we could focus on. But can you set up for us kind of um, how did you arrive at this, uh, establishing what you were going to do with a, with a reference architecture? How do you begin to set objectives? What kind of questions did you ask? What kind of response did you get? And where did you end up in terms of kicking this off? Yeah, that's a really good question. That really lies at the foundation of, how, of answering the question of how do we take the first step Many corporate environments have massive tool landscapes, just massive, over 20 plus tools. You have teams that manage all those tools. They're siloed together and you have outages in your environment and everyone is disjointedly trying to solve the problem in various different levels. And what we did over the majority, over 50% of this time was to sit down with all these teams and understand what are your tools monitoring, what purview do you have over the environment and what are the most important 
problems that are being experienced right now so that we can automate those so they don't have to be dealt with in the future. And that was the blueprint that we went going forward. And so once you got all those teams together, talking about the tools, you realize that if I'm trying to monitor response time or memory capacity or storage capacity, there are a lot of tools that can do that. So the question really becomes what tool can do it best or easiest and you then define the team that has purview over that type of metric. And you start building this framework that is considered a reference architecture. And so what you have is you have a lot of different categories that can slot tools in them indiscriminately. And so you find the tools that fit the need the best. Yeah. And those tools can be interchanged as well. And so getting the organization to culturally understand that monitoring and AI ops and handling the actions is a variable type problem. It, it, there are many ways to do it. And so the real question is, what is the best way for the company? And that requires thought and sitting down and actually talking between teams, understanding how does the incident flow across your system? Who has the ability to fix the problem and how can we measure it? And how can we respond to it automatically? So let me ask you, I noted a few things and this is my wording and Tanner, I'm just trusting you're going to jump in wherever necessary here and cut me off or jump in. Cause you know, I think, Tree's a good talker as well. So, um, but I noted a few things, Tree, from from going through our back and forth. And so you can correct my wording on this one, but some things or object uh, things that kind of came out with this client that I thought were interesting. AI ops, number one, there's like four of these. AI ops is not a fire and forget initiative. Um, yeah. And you kind of hinted at this in here. This is about the fact that it's not just about putting in the technology. There's this concentrated effort uh, that you spoke to. Yes, the software that we pay developers to write supports the business and its needs. And the business and its needs change over time to respond to the market in reality and to the, and the vision of the business. And therefore, software changes to meet the business needs, meaning what we measured yesterday might not be applicable today. And that is a, that is a feature of software development and just growth in general. And so that's a very important idea. idea. Yes, Tanner. Yeah, this is this is an extremely important point that Tree's talking about because many times when our customers go down this path, and I think I've said this in the past, they platform tools are the obvious answer to a lot of questions, right? They're quantifiable and you can engage with people that will show you how to use them and they'll come in and they'll do a thing that you need them to do. The problem with AI ops is that it is a constant evolution. It's a discipline. It's not a thing you could buy. It'd make it a heck of a lot easier if it were, you know, if we could sell an AI ops uh, as a as a finished product. Yeah. The thing I always say that I mean very much is that there is no sun in the solar system of AI ops. There's no central gravitational point. We're not aggregating. It's different than integration. It's different than interoperability because we're not pulling data together for a single pane of glass. We're looking at all the means of measure you know, various tiny, semi seemingly unimportant metrics that can add a level of context that feeds correlation that helps us make sure that this moment is the same as the problem moment we had last week so that we can begin to automate around that. Those metrics become extremely important because we can quantify situations with almost a proverbial fingerprint of sorts that allow us to, to really start resolving things with speed in an environment, as Tree was saying, that can be extremely valuable, but also extremely complex. And by doing that, by looking at the problem and the objective of the business, and then instrumenting the environment and ecosystem to address those issues for the business, then we are able to really, for lack of a better term, 
we exploit the tools capabilities across as many avenues of problem personas or situations as we can in order to reach the desired outcome. And that, that really is something that we say is a discipline rather than just a, an IT project. I dissuade anybody in a leadership position as they start talking about AI ops to think of it as an IT project. It, it will be, right? The execution of the integration, the execution of tools rationalization, all that is a project. But the ultimate mission of AI ops is not to check a box or to provide you a screen. It's to solve a much bigger objective. And really what I hear you two doing is what you're saying is important also is setting appropriate expectations about what you're setting out to accomplish. Because as we mentioned, this customer um, had already been deploying many tools. And I'll just, I'm going to go through the, these three really quick because they all kind of tie together, I think. But you'd mentioned one of the things that had to be overcome here was a lack of a, they had a lack of centralized governance structure. So we had the proverbial silos we've talked about on Tech 37 a lot, but it manifested itself in that situation uh, with another point where you had in, inconsistent adoption and use of event correlation tools. And, I, and a lot of that obviously would stem from people who aren't naturally going to communicate and they may have, and I think you told me this, but, you know, uh, investments in overlapping capabilities, they had no real idea of exactly how that was supposed to work together. And you said, well, this is something we have to solve if we're going to address the, uh, you know, these capabilities. And, uh, and then it boiled down to what you had said was, Rob, this, these kind of things are cultural problems that are going to be unique to each customer. Uh, and that was certainly the effect here. But as you went about setting the objectives, the biggest thing that jumped out at me, and this is where I want to hear you uh, speak to a little bit more, Tree, is that you, you help them isolate a very, it seemed to me, very simple prototype, for lack of a better way to put it, something that could prove that all the other work that you were doing in terms of getting the right systems to get the right data and share that so you could begin building toward this reference architecture and then prove the architecture with a proof point. Am I saying that right? And can you describe what that was and how that why that's important in this uh, in this scenario? Yes, yes. You know, of the four goals that we had, the first one was to really optimize people, process, and technology. Understand where do we sit today in terms of responding to an outage? Who has the authority to respond to an outage? Who has control of tickets? Where do they go? When can they be solved? Who actually closes the ticket out? Right. Those are very important things, and they all contribute to the life cycle of an incident, whether it's closed faster or slower. And then secondly to that would be identifying the critical monitoring metrics. Where are the places where we can set a ruler out in this environment to start measuring important things? And then we name those to be what, exactly what they are so that when I see metric A come in, I understand it's to this specific thing and there's meaning to it. And I can go to anyone within this environment and say, metric A is having problems. And then people say, oh, I understand that. There's no ambiguity there. It's very important. Thirdly is you need a way of piping the data to your systems. Ideally, you want to make you want to expose all this data to your to your correlation events and and some sort of machine learning or correlation event that can take event A and event B and say, are these related somehow in any way? And then lastly, when an event actually happens, we want to be able to do something about it. It's not it's not useful to just have something showing red all the time. We want to be actually do something about it. So in this case, we can either manually solve it, which is how we do it today, normal operations, or we apply a little bit of artificial intelligence off the top of it, or a little bit of machine learning to begin automating out this naturally manual process that we've built over the, you know, the over the industry. This is how things go. Yeah. And that's the dream, right? We want to automate these <laughs> manual processes uh, because I think when you do that correctly, you actually have better consistency, right? Because we as humans are always too slow 
and we fat finger too much, uh, and we end up chasing our tail. Uh, but that's another subject. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate these objectives. So to the prototype, what how how what did you guys choose, and why did you choose it? Uh, because I because I, I want to understand you go through. It sounds like you do a lot of Q and A with various teams, especially at the beginning of a process to gather data, and then you have to start synthesizing that data yourself. It's almost like you're your own internal AI ops kind of delivery here. But as you begin to do that, um, talked about the proof point and how you and what's the importance of, and how do you prioritize where to focus your efforts? Yeah, yeah, and this is this is a interesting dynamic or problem that we had to solve because again in all of these clients we have massively complex environments and there are so many things that we can start on today that we usually get uh, analysis paralysis and we get just bogged down with the choices and so my approach was really to say hey we're going to take in the past six months the most major outages we'll pick the two outages that that crippled your environment the longest. We'll just start there. We'll just throw a dart and start somewhere. And that first step really allowed us to say, okay, this outage impacted the environment by this much. And that was a quantifiable metric, which is very important because that is our goalpost for the end. If we can solve the issue automatically faster than the outage took for us to solve manually, we have success. And so that's like a very important heuristic that we internally or as the engineers doing the projects need to keep in mind because if we identify that thing that is our that's our target we need less than that number so once we understand that we go to the teams and say okay we reviewed the p1 incidents or the and the outages and we understand the expression of the incident i call it the fingerprint or i also like using incident persona it's just how the incident or outage was expressed across the server it started here and it flared up over here and there were symptoms over here and so that all contributes to places where we can put measurements and say okay well the root cause was this one thing and if for an example we'll say my storage filled up my storage i accept an acceptable amount of storage is 80 percent if we violate that threshold then we need to clean it up and so how do we monitor that well there are many tools that can monitor disk utilization and the question is we want to have more than one in some cases the answer is yes, because we want to be able to verify if it is an actual issue or not. If I get two tools saying that I'm get having error, that is a much more correlative event than only a single event having a problem. There could be a false positive there. Yeah. So that's just an idea to think of. And then next you need the, the idea of how, once you have the, the measurements set up in the tools, that's a pretty, pretty easy thing uh, from an engineer perspective, then you set up a notification. When should it be alerting? Like a fire alarm that you set in your house. You set it in different places that are important to, to observe for smoke or heat. And you then set the threshold for how much smoke needs to be ingested for it to alert. And then afterwards, what do you do with the notification? Most of us want to run out of our house or turn off the fire alarm when it starts beeping at us because it's annoying. Well, in the software world, well, what do you do with it? Ideally, we send it to ServiceNow or a different ITSM tool that can actually handle it. Uh, or this is where we bring AI apps into it. We shove it through a correlator that says, I'm getting a ton of events from many different systems. Which ones are related? Mm. Yeah. And then we say, I see after I filter all my events through my sieve, I say, oh, these five events represent a disk utilization error. I know how to solve a disk utilization error because I've set up automation to do it, invoke the automation. 
And now if the automation actually works, the measurement tools should measure a reduced utilization, which means our red would go away to green, which then once the event or the fire alarm is no longer blaring its alarm, it sends an event to your ITSM tools that say, this is closed, it's no longer an issue. And your situation has been resolved. It's dawning on me that I should have brought this up earlier because you've talked through this in several different ways anyway. So, but, yeah. so I want you to be able to refer to it. But, but a, a question as we've got this on screen, I'll let you take it wherever you want to, is I always wonder, because we ran into this when I used to do a lot of security and it was a notion of the false positive issues, which to me were always going to be the hang up that until someone has confidence that their data is clean, that the correlation uh, is consistently correct, it's only then in, a, in another stage where they say, okay, I'm willing to let the machines respond automatically to something that doesn't have what I think is safer response, which is some kind of human interface jumping in and agreeing first or foremost, assuming that is actually safer. But yes, is, is that yes. your, is that, do you see that happening as well? Is that important? Yes, you actually touch on a really funny um, irony in our, in our business, which is in the software business, which is you always hear everyone saying, I want to automate, 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 yet we when I, the engineer, come in and say, let's automatically push the push your builds to production, the, the answer is always, no, 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 change control. So <laughs> there's this cognitive dissonance between, oh, I want to automate things, but I don't trust the machines enough. So that is that is a critically important problem, Tanner. It, it is. I just want to add to that, too. Tree, Tree identified something there that is a frequency, right, when we engage with clients. Automation is the ultimate answer. And automation for us is the ultimate AI ops environment, right? And we can automate those things. But what people really seek is simplicity and context. People are capable and people are absolutely necessary. A lot of times when we talk about AI ops, there's a, there's a latent fear that it means the reduction of people or the devaluation of people. And I tell people all the time, and I've said it on here before, that our, defi our definition of AI ops is to isolate high value decision making, not to eliminate it. Yeah. We want people to be engaged because there are things that, regardless of how advanced and how much we push the edge of the envelope on this stuff, that people will just still have to make smart decisions that are relative to the business. It's the people, process, technology trifecta, right? Our goal is to simplify, to normalize, and to present the most intelligent decision-making points that we can that are the highest value to the business operation. That's it. It's yeah. not... It's complicated. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can see the steps that go into creating uh, just, you know, for individual customers, just for this one, how many tools are sitting here. These tools do not reflect the fact that there are people and processes attached to every one of these that are super yeah, critical. None of that goes away. Yeah. None of it goes away. But if I can give the, the application context to somebody that's monitoring the internal network and also let them know what's happening outside the network with a tool like Thousand Eyes, I can give them a full spectrum picture. You know, if your house is, if my wall is hot, to use the proverbial example of the house fire, I only have that level of information. If I had security cameras outside and I had temperature probes in the basement and in the attic, my context and my contextual understanding of that fire is much more rapid. Therefore, the decision I would typically be tasked to make can be much more intelligent, much more acute. And that is what AIOps is in a nutshell, is, is the combination of the pipeline and the foundational understanding of how we're going to look at context and then the exploitation of really advanced platforms and cramming them full of every metric and event that we can to create 
very unique, very contextualized moments of decision making. And whether we automate those or not is truly up to the, the objective of the business. Ideally, perfect world, we automate as many as we can above an acceptable threshold. And that's typically how the maturity of AI ops works uh, in most of our environments. Well, and I feel like if we took the automation, you know, is that bottom rung here across the bottom of, of this flow, even if you had that flow going and it's tuned the way you're kind of speaking to, that feels like it'd be a huge step forward for so many people. Um, because it's tree, this as a reference architecture, you don't go in and attempt to coach them into how to do this kind of thing across every application. You purposefully narrowed it down to some critical, even applications and specific processes. And it was really building, getting success in a narrow but important area so that they can then scale this themselves because I imagine there's a there's a, a bit of a handoff of of knowledge and, and and capabilities of how to do this going forward that you went through. If you could confirm that and kind of explain what's important to understand about what we see here on the reference architecture too. Yeah, yeah. The you know ideally we want to teach people how to fish. I I don't want to I don't want to make people dependent on on me and my my skills just because I'm only one person. I can only do so much. However, um, the idea of this architecture is to showcase that there are categories of, of monitoring that exist that are different silos or purviews of teams within any rural organization. And there are tools that slide into those. And this is just so happens to be a set of tools for um, that, that, you know, a, a random set of tools that could potentially be you know, used. And so the arrows represent the path or flow of data and you and you kind of alluded to it earlier you could technically remove that bottom automation line and you have your normal operations right there that's that's a normal operations flow of, a, of, a, of an organization yeah. so and, you know <laughs> yeah. maybe remove the data pipeline and now you just have all your logs or all your monitoring data being directly sent to service now or, or your itsm and so what we've shown here is there is a nice breakout if you want to separate concerns and make sure that things are doing one thing and one thing well, this is a very nice, clean framework for that. It makes it easy to, to, to take that first step forward when you don't have to answer the question, well, what are my application metrics? Oh, I, I know that already. It's going to be my app dynamics, APM tool, my Datadog tool. Okay. And those are already instrumented because we have a team in there. And so all I need to do is go engage that team and they have their own framework to give me a nice 80-20 spread of you know, standardized metrics versus customized metrics. And then I have a, I, I, I start moving into this idea of a full stack observability picture where I can actually see what my stack is doing. And that's important because in the earlier questions, we were talking about the why. Why are things slow? Why are my applications running poorly? And the answers will usually rely on the data. And it says, okay, well, it's tied to something business related. So something yeah. business related that's being supported by software must be impacted. Yeah. And I think it goes without saying, but obviously the reason what you're saying with business related, is you're saying this stuff's costing us uh, the manual fumbling yes. around and, and, and especially the problems that my dad always kind of, I don't want to say beat into me because he really didn't beat me, but I felt like he, he stressed a lot, which was the notion that, um, it's okay to make mistakes once, but the whole idea is, did you learn and have a process for figuring out how to not make that mistake again? And I feel like that kind of comes into play in these operations because uh, I noticed throughout your notes and such that I had the privilege of seeing you were, you were, um, you stressed uh, logging uh, to see consistency and issues and to, uh, to maintain, I think a lot of that, well, it's logging the, um, 
uh, well, you mentioned it with your persona incident. I don't want to misword this. Um, but it just struck me that the data gathering that you encourage so that one can learn and apply going forward becomes important in this process. hope I said that halfway right. Yes, the idea here is that if you can name it, you can address it. Thank you for very often, (laughs) very often we don't name it. And like these tools are not crystal balls. They don't just solve the problem. Uh, And one thing that you'll hear me often say is this idea of predicting an outage. Um, There's no such thing in in data science as predicting. That doesn't exist. Predicting is a crystal ball and I'm a wizard and I'm looking into it, searing into the future, whereas forecasting is data driven i take past data i take past trends and i apply them to the future to make a educated guess and that is that sets the expectation for these tools instead of being a set it forget it silver bullet tool i now have a understanding that it's a forecast of tool so i need to have people understand the trends that happen understand the pieces of data that are that go into the model of simulating or modeling my environment because ideally we're trying to build a heuristic of the business using software and so those are just questions we haven't really answered yet as a business is what? Yeah, and I love, I had on my list of, of tree hot buttons was prediction versus forecast. And you were hitting on it there. <laughs> and why that is so important to understand the differences in those things because they're not the same whatsoever. And if you're sloppy about it, that's going to be uh, indicative of maybe some sloppiness that needs to be addressed somewhere else as well. My final point that I want to make sure everybody draws from this as we wind to a close. And Tanner, I'll give you the last uh, thought here about what to do next as we close out. But I, what really impressed me here is something I would not have considered is when we looked at this customer, it's a large, multinational, extremely capable customer who invested uh, in AI ops in early days. I mean, over, if I understood correctly, as close to three years ago, they had already made technology investments. They'd already spent time with this. And for whatever reason, uh, they weren't getting the results that they expected and that they knew they should be. And they came to you guys, um, as, and I'm sure you do a lot of work with them, but but the idea that they ask for help in an area that I might as an outsider or maybe a salesperson who's got that account, I'm looking at that and going, they don't need this. I'm not going to talk to them about it. But what you're saying is, is that um, there just wasn't enough of the, say, the due diligence, the focused thought, the, um, the notion of understanding that tools have to be, uh, you know, made appropriate for each individual environment to really get them out of it. So you wasn't about selling them more tools that was sounds like they have plenty of tools but I, I, right. to me that really blew me away yeah right yeah the the important thing here was that it wasn't just a tool problem and it was really a time problem we as engineers are often so focused on putting out fires of today that we don't have time to talk about the solutions of yesterday and how we put out those fires and so this was a really awesome in, engagement for us or opportunity for us to come in and provide a third uh, third-party opinion that was, you know, unbiased and alleviated some of the burden of just analyzing what they had to move forward. And so that's very common. Where our, our operations teams are just trying to float today, and mm-hmm. doing anything extra is, you know, the proverbial straw. And so we yeah. can really help help do that by allowing them to take the first step. Well, Tree, I sure safely. appreciate having you on. I love having, uh, you know, post implementation people on who are living in the reality of what does it take to make things actually work the way we all promised in the pre-sale side, yeah. uh, you know, and such like this. But Tanner, you run this whole operation. You are AI ops when it comes to uh, anyone working with worldwide technology and you continue to set the pace for the environment and the teams that you build with people like Tree. 
final words before I put up the URL for more information and such, what's important from your perspective? Sure. Uh, the one big thing that I hope is is taken away from this, and Tree kind of touched on it, that we, we do not purport to be uh, magically capable in ways that our customers aren't. It's just that actions that they take once and tools that they buy and install once, this is our this is our expertise. You know, if you look at what we are as a team, we don't make software. We're, we're expertise, acumen, and architecture. And that's what we bring to the table. And the main thing I wanted to take away from today was uh, a bit of a demystification of what it looks like to do this. It's not, it's very, it's very complex, but it's not impossible. Mm. It just takes the right, it takes the right approach. It takes the right execution. It takes asking the right questions and partnering with the right people. So I hope that as people mature through their journey in AI ops, and they're looking at tools that they're understanding that it's people process and technology, you know, it's executing the proper architecture on top of uh, great tools and an already great IT operation. You know, we help people that are in great shape. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing, but we can make them better. We can make them faster. And the whole goal of our conversation today is just to let people know that it is possible. It's, it's just a, it's an incremental process and a step. Uh, and, and we're partners to help you through that process. Well, you know, sometimes I feel like even if even if uh, there weren't resources like you two uh, and as smart as you were, there's something about having a third party come in when you've got this just lockage uh, and the gears are not working the way they're supposed to within a company. It's not because there's a lack of intelligence or, or care or anything else, but sometimes it's that outside um, you know, experience combined with the knowledge that allows you to turn that corner and suddenly get a lot more value out of previous investments uh, so that you can really do what you know you should be capable of doing and get them up and running. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on Tech 37. Uh, Tanner, I hope we can keep talking about this subject because I feel like we've yet to even really (laughs) dig deep enough. It feels like there's going to be more examples and hopefully we'll have Tree back as well. Guys, thank you so much to our audience. Thank you for enjoying, for enjoying. I'm going to assume you're enjoying. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Everybody stay warm if it's cold where you are. Take care.